Happy days. Well, welcome to episode two of the Game Breakers podcast, where we look at bringing you the tips, insights and experience from around the world of sport. My name is Rob Nicolay and today I'm joined by my co-host Danny Wilson. But today our special guest is none other than former St. Helens and most notably Warrington Wolves, Wales, Great Britain and Lance Todd Trophy winner and current Warrington Wolves assistant coach, uh, Lee Breas. Thanks for joining us, Lee. Thanks for having us on, guys. It's all no. good. Danny, do you want to jump in? Yeah, no, again, just echo Rob's you know, gratitude, Lee. Appreciate your time coming on and um, hopefully this will be a, a enjoyable for you as I'm sure it will be for us. Yeah, anything to help. It should uh, should be good fun. Happy days. Well, I'll, uh, I'll kick off with a bit of an intro on you, Lee. So, obviously, uh, if anything's wrong, just blame Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, began career at Saints and made your debut at 18 years of, uh, years of age. Made his international debut for Wales in '98, making 23 further appearances, and then was capped for Great Britain against France in their 42-12 win on the 26th of October 2001. Challenge Cup winner in 2009, 2010, and Lance Todd Trophy winner um, in 2012, and then 2019 winner as assistant coach. Played 425 games for Warrington, scoring a club record. Of 2,586 points and coached through the academy pathway at Warrington and obviously now assistant coach. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Right, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I say, um, the sort of aim for the podcast for us is, is looking at sort of mental skills, um, attributes of a good leader and coach, and then sort of the, the person behind the player, which, you know, more often than not, you know, fans aren't um, necessarily aware of. So, Sort of socially and per, um, your personality, just, just give us sort of a description of yourself, you know, of, of Lee Breeze, the man, the son, the father and the player, if you can sum it up. Uh, yeah, kind of changed over the years. You know, the early years was kind of a carefree person, you know, just went without much care. And, uh, but, you know, now it's kind of, it's changed a lot being, being, a, being a father, uh, Kids are, are older now. You know, actually, it's my son's birthday today. Seventeen, and my daughter's twenty-two. So you, you've got to you've got to be responsible. You've got to uh, you know lead by your actions, and uh, I suppose you know give them good grounding. So I I, I don't know. I'll, I'll just I'll, one word. One you know probably hopefully likable. That'll yeah. be a bit of one. One of them, like, you know, obviously your son's on a rugby player as well, on a, on a pathway, and you said about being like, but I remember when I was, um, you know, maybe in my early 20s, and you think, I reckon I'll be a good dad, I want to be likeable, you know, for your son, and and I suppose when you when you get into that role, there's things that you probably do what your kids probably don't necessarily like at that time. How How is that for you when you're probably trying to sculpt your, your kids in a way um, to set them on the right path, you know, is it challenging to try and be likable, but at the same time set some standards there? I, th I think it's massively important that you that there's a lot, there's a line. Uh, obviously, we, we want to be liked, and we, but you, you've got to be the best role model. And if if we go back, probably fifteen years, I wasn't a great role model. Uh, you know, not for only markets, but for other people. Which is a part of life, you know. It's a part of that learning, uh, part of the journey. What we're all on, without without me being kind of a 
I don't know, not so much an idiot, but no, that carefree, you know, just went about his business and didn't really care about anybody else. Uh, if, I, if I was at that point now, well, then I, I think that I'd be in trouble. But oh, I've, learned, I've learned some really good lessons along the way. And I've done some really good stuff as well. Some not so good stuff, but it's important that you learn from that. Learn from it. So I'm at the point now where I'm actually, I'm in a really good place, both uh, in, my, in my home life, in my work life, and in life in general. And, you know, it's, uh, it's quite, my life is quite simple at the moment. Uh, and, I, and I see that for the foreseeable future. My life is first and foremost family, work, and golf. And that's all to do. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's it's setting those standards. And and, and I suppose you know, I look at my two kids, and, and we all say it. we we all say our kids are the best, obviously. But I look at my two kids now, and they are absolutely. Well, I must be doing a good job because they're absolutely unbelievable. Not a, not an ounce of trouble. Never have been. School-wise, you know, so socially-wise, not an ounce. And, you know, one of my daughter now, she, she works for the NHS. I've not really, actually, I've not seen her for for seven weeks, uh, eight weeks in a lockdown. She's been, you know, working and, and not been home because of of, uh, of the chance of passing the coronavirus. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud in, in, in what I've, what I started off and where I am now is, has been a hell of a journey and it's just part of that journey. Hopefully the, the, the next four years of my life are as, let's say, as eventful, but not as up and down as, as that. Oh, like you say there, all that stuff, all your experience there, fully equipped, fully equipped there to, to pass on your knowledge and experience to guide your kids. And like you said, you're obviously doing a good job. Just pass on to your daughter our thanks for all the stuff she's going through now. With the NHS, incredible. Absolutely, thanks. Just you touched on there about golf. Uh, we had a little bit of chat just before this, and obviously you're very keen golfer. Is that is that your most favourite thing to do away from work to to keep you on the straight and narrow? It's the only thing I do. <laughs> it's the only thing I do. So, uh, yeah, obviously working. You know full well, Danny. You know. Uh, coaching full time takes a hell of a lot of time and a hell of, hell of a lot of stress. And uh, at any chance I get, I'm on the golf course. You know, I put my phone in my locker and I spend three and a half hours if it's a good day or four hours if it's a bad day without my phone and you know, without the curves of the world and and just go and play golf. And it's you know, I, I suppose. And actually, I I have realised and have reflected why we've been in this lockdown is actually. Why I've probably not struggled with mental health after after the game, after I retired, because actually golf took over that that challenge. So I, it, golf gives me a you know a massive challenge every 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 time I go on the course. I want to be better than the last time I was on it, and it don't always happen that way. And I've got uh, some some good golfing pals, uh, but I've got one one very good pal uh, who we play most days. He plays off scratch. I play off five and. He doesn't like playing without a bet. So if I'm not on, I'm losing money, simple as that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, those Lancashire lads are just like you, Yorkshire lads, we're tight. Uh, and we don't have <laughs> the money. So, but, oh, but what that gives me as well, it gives me that competitive streak. That streak, and I, you've got to be on, and I've got to play well. And I just love the buzz of, you know, if we've got a four-foot putt, whether it's for 10p or a pound, to win. There's no better feeling. And it absolutely 
absolutely frightened life out here. And it's that's just a competitive nature. I mean, I look forward all week to, to playing. We play in the comps on a Saturday. And I look forward to, to that game so much. It's untrue. And, you know, I was, I was quite nervous as a rugby league player, but playing golf one-on-one is, is a t- totally different, you know, aspect. It's, it's, it's really nerve-wracking because I'm that competitive and I don't want to lose. So yeah, I suppose yeah. that tells me a hell of a lot. And I've realised that. Oh, golf, like you say, you're by yourself. It's not a team sport. You're standing over that ball if it's a four-foot putt. Um, like there's a four-inch putt for me. There's every chance of missing that. So, um, <clears throat> understand them pressures. How, how, how do you manage to cope with that then? How do you like it? That's just some of the things you've achieved in your game, whether it's taking a conversion to win a, a very important game, whether it be a semi-final or something, or that four-foot putt to win on a weekend. How do you cope with them pressures? I love it. I thrive on it. I practice. Especially in rugby, I practice for them for them uh, for them occasions. But since I've been four years of age, and probably I'll go into a little story about that. It's uh, I was a really nervous rugby league player uh, before the game. I was violently sick. Half time, I was violently sick just because I needed to play well. And I thought if I played well, well, it gives the best chance to, for our team to to play well and to win. And so I put all that pressure on me, but. Leading up to Challenge Cup semi-final in 2009, I didn't sleep for for more than three hours a night leading up to the game all week. And I'd wake up and I'd be violently sick every morning. Played the game, beat Wigan in the semi-final. Brilliant, we're at Wembley. Fast forward, uh, I think it was six weeks to the final. And the week leading up to the final, not once did I have any nerves going into the final. And I'm like, whoa, this is a bit strange. Gets to the game, no sick before the game. I'm going, whoa, there's something going on here. Uh, in the tunnel, no nerves, nothing goes out. You know, we, we, we beat Huddersfield. It was an unbelievable experience. And I reflected on it a couple of weeks later. And, you know, I, it took me all the way back to when I was four years of age and I first picked a rugby league ball up. And, you know, where we live in St. Helens, it's all you do. You, you, you pick a rugby ball up, you play rugby, or you go and work at Pilts. So every patch of grass that I'd played on from being four up until when I signed at 16, up until probably when I played at Wembley, any any post, any lamppost was always Wembley. So I'd practised in my mind since being four years of age at playing at Wembley. So I'd done it, you know, the 10,000 hour rule mm. or the 10,000 times. I'd done it and not realised how well Wembley was like home to me. And that's why I really believe that. Not one bit of nerves. And every time I went and played at Wembley, there was not one bit of nerves. It was mental. Even when I played there for, for Wales against New Zealand and we're lining up in the Acker. You know, we got beat 50-0, but I wasn't nervous. It's weird. It's real weird. And that's one of the things that we, we talk about with, with obviously our lads with the academy. That visualisation is massive, but you take it for granted. It just happens. You, it happens anyway. Um, it's not until you put it into some sort of term like that where you think about it, but you've been doing that since you was four. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like them, them last, them clutch plays. You get nervous over them. No way. Practice, mm. practice, practice. Comes natural. You might, you might along the way, you might miss a couple. Uh, you might miss more than a couple, but yeah, it'd be worth it when you nail one because that, you know, it puts it all to bed. And, you know, it, that also builds resilience. You know, you practice, practice, practice. It's not always going on that way. You're going to have bumps in the road. Mm. You're willing percentage. And it builds resilience. And it, 
you know, I, I, I look for that, that player and that leader who, you know, misses a few, misses a few, but goes, give me the next one. Yeah. That's a leader. That's, that's, you know, that's mentally tough and that's what you look for. And I think that's a massive thing as well, you know, even just you saying there, you know, how much of a nervous player he was before a game and what you had to prepare for. Because on the pitch, you'd never guess that or never think that. And like say, within those, those sort of one-point games as well, you know, you remember watching them and thinking, the ball's going to you, you know, and you, and you worry about, I mean, I, I'm, I remember at one game quite vividly that quarter-final in that challenge yeah. against Hull KI when it's extra, extra time. Yeah. Um, you know, massive, and you knew straight away, even when you know when the ball's been passed back to you, that's going over. It was you wouldn't expect you to have those nerves. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it. it obviously, I, I would really wish, and well, not now, but I, I did do that. We didn't have half times, and we just blow the whistle, turn around, and let's get off, because it it all started over again. And I suppose what, once you're out on the field, you don't feel that because you you you're so vision visualizing in 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 the moments and being in the moments and uh, I suppose it's the more you think about it the more nervous you get but yeah I remember that game really well I missed three before I kicked that winning one and especially when we was in the the huddle just after the end of the game and just going into extra time and there was a bit of a breeze behind uh coming from off the off the docks end so we said listen I just said listen if we win the toss go that way get us anywhere near the halfway line and I'll get I'll kick one from the halfway line. Yeah, after my third attempt, I weren't too confident, let me tell you, but yeah. <laughs> well, Perseverance, you did, uh. <laughs> did me a favour that day because my son was born on that uh, Challenge Cup final day, so <laughs> oh, <laughs> I knocked him out, it's all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you touched on uh, before about, you know, um, being a Lancastrian. You know, how do you reflect on that and what sort of traits do you think that sort of bred into you, you know, within, within the game and the way you played? It's, it's, a, it's a real strange one because obviously Lancashire, we we, we are we are natural Lancashire, but I, I, I was born and bred in Merseyside, which it took over Lancashire uh, just for about quarter just for us. But yeah, us, us Lancashire, we, you know, we're passionate people. We, we love to win, and I think that's the, the the one thing because I always remember the old town teams uh, back in the day, and it was. Know, Wiggins, Oldham, St. Helens, uh, Widnes, and Salford and the likes. And yeah, it, it breeds a mentality that we we, we want to win. And, you know, sometimes win at all costs. I think, you know, we're not as tight as you guys over, over the <laughs> pen. But you guys are not bad from all. I've got to stick up from all guys. Obviously, my missus is from Hull, so, you know, uh, good people and all. Yeah, yeah, we are. That's it. Uh, we are we aren't far off off Lancastrians, really. Like you say, I think when it comes to the Yorkshire v Lancashire, there's a lot of passion and and it's a down to that kind of competitiveness. You just touched. You said that you know about being competitive, and and Rob mentioned there when you look at you as a player, there's no way you'd kind of you know as a spec you're looking at you anticipate them nerves. You put a lot of work in behind the scenes, so you can trust yourself when it comes to them big moments and. This is about kind of drawing out their experiences so people can learn from them, about putting in the hours so you can trust yourself. But understanding you as a, as a person as well, you've said a lot of things kind of helped you from growing up, from being four years old. Um, and you've had a lot of kind of experience and obstacles in your way. And I want to kind of probably go a little bit more personal here uh, and kind of scratch the surface behind Libriers and what probably had an impact on you. And that's obviously when you, you lost your brother. Um, I just want to kind of touch on what that 
meant to you, how that impacted on you from, you, you said obviously 15 years ago, you, you, you had a very kind of different tact on life. How did the loss of your brother kind of maybe shape how you are today and how you performed in the back end of your career? I am, yeah, massive, massive, massive uh, impact on men. Didn't, didn't understand or realise how much that did. Uh, when I'm going to talk about us free what we spoke about earlier on in, in this piece, uh, well, that, you know, my brother died and, yeah, I, I was obviously devastated, absolutely devastated, but kind of sent me off the rails a bit, you know, and didn't realise that. I just thought it was part of growing up, uh, as you would do, but, you know, you as you get older and, you know, you have time to reflect and you do reflect on life. I'm a big reflector uh, and making sure that I don't make the same mistake again. And, yeah, went off the rails massively. Uh, I was a young kid, 21, uh, earning quite a bit of money uh, and, and had the world at my feet. So back in those days, you didn't have the guidance of what, you know, people have now. And it's kind of, you know, work it out yourself. Well, I always say this about rugby league players, but we, uh, not everybody is, so I'm not going to paint everybody with the same brush, but we're all from working backgrounds. We're all from council estates. And it takes a certain type of person to, to play rugby league, you've got to have something loose up top. You know, who, who doesn't? You, we're, asked to, we're asked to be saints all week and then be a, we're killers basically on a weekend. We, we want to, we, not me personally, because I was, as you know, was so soft. I couldn't, you know, hurt anybody. But that's what we're asking people to do. So, you know, without the right guidance, uh, you know, I was way off the rails well off the rails and didn't know it and, and wasn't bothered uh, and it, you know I keep going back to it. it's a journey and you know look back on if I can help somebody who's going through that same thing well what I went through was well worthwhile a million percent and it was a massive shock to everybody in our family you know it's the first time I ever ever seen anybody buried and it was my brother uh he was quite a bit older than me. He's, you know, he's 13 years older than me. All my brothers and sisters are. So as far as being really close, he was the closest we was out of all our brothers and sisters because everybody else had moved out. Uh, they'd moved out from, from when I was a younger, probably about four or five years of age. So uh, we, was very, we, was, we was fairly close, but you know, there was a big gap. Uh, and it, it probably took me until probably 2009 that I could go to his grave without crying. Uh, yeah, and it hurts, of course it hurts, it's my brother. Well, that's life, isn't it? Uh, people pass and you've, you've got to deal with it the best you can. Probably didn't deal with it the best I could have done. Uh, but, you know, it's, I've got a, a wealth of knowledge now and knowledge is power and I can help other people. Yeah, how do you um so like sort of reflecting on that and obviously it's massive to go through, you know, and, and that, like say at the time we said sort of off the rails, you know, how did that affect you as a player, you know, as much as a person? Well, I think he got picked for Great Britain that year, so it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think when we died, we went through a real weird time at Warrington because I think in the same week to where Nick Cowell lost his wife as well. It was around about that time. So I think we played Castleford on, on the weekend. I played the weekend and 
if if I'm if I'm brutally honest with you, it, it's kind of a blur that that little period, uh, just just around his death. But yeah, it it would have would affect him because you know it stuff like that does affect. But I always said to people who are struggling in life, who have got struggles off the field, as soon as you take that field for eighty minutes, that is the best place you can be. Mm. You don't you don't think about anything. You know, if you have got struggles in life, if you are going through a bad time, as soon as you go across that white line to train as well, you forget about everything. It's a great sanctuary for, you know, to be with your 30 best mates because they all want, they, everybody cares for each other. You know, and as and soon as you're on that field, you forget about it. So, you know, people will be doing it tough. People will see this who's doing it tough and, you know, get out there. You know, it might be hard to get out of bed. See how this thing you, you you're probably gonna face, but get out there, go on the field, get with your mates, and, and run about because you you'll forget about it. Definitely. You've you've in them times, like you said, the big for Great Britain there in in a really tough period, and just like you say by getting out there and 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 doing that, you've had some massive achievements, which which would be a bit, throughout your career, uh, biggest achievement uh, and biggest regret. You know, in that period, if you can maybe look at when you had a real bad time and the biggest regret, any mistakes that you might have made, and how you changed that to towards your biggest achievement. Well, you know, I, it kind of contradicts what I'm going to say because I don't, I don't look look back at regrets. I honestly don't. I, I reflect quite a bit, but I don't regret and go, you know, maybe I should have done that because it's everything I've done, be it. Good, be it bad, be you know, indifferent. It's made me the person I am today, and I'm content with the person I am today. So I'm happy with it, massively. You know, there'll be things I could change. Obviously, everybody can change. Everybody in the world go, I could have changed that. But if you dwell on it, well, you know, it's bringing you back down to when it was. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a really positive person who likes to look ahead. Uh, so regrets, I don't have, I don't have them. If I went deep and really and and wanted to give you one. Of course, but mm. you know it's it's made me the person I'm today. And the person I'm today is let me tell you, I didn't really do school other than when we played rugby league. Mm. Uh, I, well, saying that, I finished I finished school with six years. Now you wouldn't believe that, would you? Wow, absence. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I didn't do school. I grew up on a council estate. I had, you know. I had three brothers and one sister who were a lot older than me, so, you know, I was kind of fending for myself. Mum and dad were, were unbelievable. You know, they still live in the same council house now at 84 and 81. Uh, went to work at six o'clock every morning with mum. Dad worked on the oil rigs. Uh, so you can imagine what I used to go up to when nobody was in the house and, you know, no really, nobody really to take care of me. I, I could do whatever I wanted, and I did. Uh, growing up was was pretty crazy. So I had, you know, no qualifications, nothing. And to turn my life into what it is now, you know, it, it just shows anything is possible. Anything is possible. And I am really, really proud of that, that fact that that's happened. And, you know, this is only part of my life. I'm, I'm ready to go again and, and achieve more. But So I, I'd probably say that's my biggest, biggest achievement in life is from where I've come from, I got signed late at Saints at 16. I was, I was probably about 
eight stone, eight and a half stone when I signed for Saints. Everybody said I was too small. Uh, so, to all them people who thought that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's, and I, and it's crazy. Just listening to you, Lee, you know, like from a, a, a mental point of view, just robust, really happy with where you're at. A great philosophy on how you you look at mistakes and accept that they're part of who are going to shape you in the future and where you are now. Do you think that that is a key attribute to have as a as a halfback? You know, which in effect is a is a leader on the field um, to to be able to to accept that their mistakes are going to shape you. You know, some some halfbacks who maybe don't make it to the next step, do they crumble with them pressures? Is that what sets you apart? It, it quite possibly could because if you transfer that onto the field, then uh, well, I, I wanted the ball in my hands hundred times more than anybody else. Now, with a lot of averages say I'm going to make more mistakes than anybody else mm. if I want the ball, but I can't dwell on that. If I make a mistake and I'm still thinking of that the next set, well, I'm not doing my job. You've got to, you know, there's a there's a great term we we use is don't carry your divots. Now that's a golfing term. So if mm. A golfer, it's a big divot, and he don't go anywhere. And he's still, well, he's not going to be focused on the next, mm. next job. And that yeah. I always go on, even in, so I use it quite a bit in my coaching careers. What's next? What's next? Yeah. Don't think about what's just happened. What's next? And if you go by that, well, you should be fine because you're always thinking, and you're always in that moment. You're always in the moment. Don't go too far ahead of yourself, and don't think too far back. What's next? Yeah, and. To be able to, to, to do that, I think, is a massive skill. So what's it, you know, so it doesn't enter your head on your backswing there not to give it another divot. When you've you got a little chip shot on backswing as you go back to hit it, don't, don't fanny out of it. That doesn't enter your head. Of course it does. <laughs> of course it does. Yeah, all the time. But it's, yeah. it's what happens when you do it and you're in the same spot in the next couple of holes. What are you doing then? Are you going to think, oh, same shot, I've just done this. Are you going to go to your practice, your routine, your process? Actually, what you've done a thousand times, ten thousand times before, to get it right. Again, you're going to make mistakes. That's that's part of life. Uh, but mm. you you got to move on from quickly, and you know don't don't dwell on it. Don't dwell on it. Just uh, just taking back because you mentioned then about obviously you need time at St Helens as well, and you know just looking back at your your debut, obviously you got man of the match display. Um, you know, and, and obviously that you know, helped Saints reach the Challenge Cup final. You know, and obviously quite famously now dropped for uh, the returning Bobby Golden. What was uh, what was your thoughts and feelings around that time? See, this this again, it's part of part of learning, part of life, and part of you know what I went through. And I, you know, we had somebody at Warrington and who who played all year round and didn't, didn't play at Wembley, so I could I could teach him, could you know, give him my experiences, but. You know, as far as being dropped, uh, I'm glad you're saying that, not me, because I didn't see it as being dropped. I, I was, I was there. I was a young, 18 year old kid. I'd just signed two years prior than this, so I, I'd, I'd never think that I was going to play for Saints Academy. Never mind being a Challenge Cup semi final. So it was an unbelievable experience to play the six games. What I did, uh, and and you know, to to help in a, in a tiny little way, you know. If you couldn't play well in that side, geez, you're struggling. Uh, so I was just, uh, I was in there to, to do my job and, you know, I got helped by some wonderful players. And 
Bobby Golden was always going to come back into the side because Bobby was an unbelievable mentor to me and not many people know. Everybody, like you said, the perception is I got dropped for Bobby Golden. Well, you know, I'm more than happy to, to step aside for Bobby Golden to come into the side because for St. Helens, which was my team at the time, to win the Challenge Cup final, Bobby Golden had to be in that, without a shadow of a doubt. He was the club captain, probably the highest paid player at the club and he's probably the best player in Great Britain at the time. He was killing it. So I was more than made up for for Bobby to come back in. What what actually happened was, uh, obviously Wembley, we, as you well know, takes a lot of organising. You know, you go to a hotel and, and whatnot and go to Wembley. So it takes a lot of organising. I think back then it was in May. So we had about a month to organise it. So we, they had a, they had a t- directors had a, had a meeting. And let's not forget, I still wasn't full-time at St. Then I was... I was on £29.50 a week, YTS scheme. Uh, but I, I got called into this meeting with all the players, all the squad, and it was on about going down to Wembley and, and it, what players would go down and, you know, getting sit, fitted for a suit and, you know, hotels for the families and whatnot. And it, it transpired in this meeting that, you know, I wasn't going to go down with, with the team. I was just going to go with the academy on on the day, you know, third and back, which... You know, it, it upset me a bit that because, you know, I was really looking forward to getting fitted for a suit. I'd never had a suit before. I had school pants on. Mm. <laughs> we couldn't afford suits. Uh, and the sunglasses would have went well. But, you know, the nearest I got to an hotel back in them days was a police cell, so I was gutted. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and, you know, I was. Chris Joint stood up in the meeting and said, you know, I watched work because obviously kids are watching, but he, he, a few ex-policetives and you know, back me all the way. And I was gutted when I walked out of that meeting. And, uh, you know, St. Helens was my team. I, I, I was, when Nosey Road, I was in Nosey Road more, more times when it was closed at night than I was playing. That's where I used to go with kicking balls or I used to play hide and seek with the stands. It was my team. I'd loved it. I'd watched them since mm. being four. And, and to get that, I thought it was a bit of a kick in the teeth. But, you know, by no means did I ever want contemplate leaving it didn't cross my mind I was I was gutted yeah but life goes on uh, and then two days later and I don't know how this happened because you know we'd only just got a phone in the house literally probably about three months prior to this with, with my with my money what I, I won for playing in the games you know in the challenge cup I bought mum and dad a, a house phone because we didn't have a house phone uh, but I don't know how they got my number and an agent for me, Tommy Cunningham, which was Kieran Cunningham's brother, and he said, Lee, it's Tommy Cunningham, you don't know me, I'm an agent and I want, I want to represent you. I didn't even know that what agents were. I, I just thought, well, I could play rugby and I'd just play professional. I didn't even know you could get paid before this little period. And to, to know about agents, I'd not got a clue. So anyway, for me, he said, would you want to meet? Uh, and by the way, Warrington have come in for you. Would you, would you mind talking to them? Now, me being me and, you know, live off the cuff a bit, curf- I was carefree and going, I just went, yeah, yeah, go on, I'll meet them, meet up, let's see what they say. Uh, and we met up, met up with Darrell Vanderbilt and Paul Cullen and, you know, they, they offered me the chance to be Warrington Wolves number seven and, you know, pay, pay me a good wage, which not wasn't bothered about the money anyway. Like I say, I was on £29.50, £29.50 every week and I got £1,000 on my birthday. Uh, and two season tickets but 
season tickets were worthless because I used Rob Walker anyway. So, <laughs> uh, and, you know, like I said, I was good at school. Warrington offered me 36 grand contract and 36 grand cash. Well, I was shit at maths, but I know that's a lot more than a thousand pounds. So my head was turned straight away. Uh, and it, again, into, into my reflection, if that phone call probably would have happened maybe two weeks later, I would have said, no, I don't want to speak to Warrington, I'm a Saints player. But because they got me when I was still a bit stinging, they got me at the right time, you know, fate's a massive thing in my life. And they got me there and then, uh, and I've never looked back. When you listen to that story and, and the fact that, you know, and again, probably reflecting on everything that you said so far is, yeah, you missed out on a Challenge Cup final, but accepted because of Bobby Golden and, and, and who wouldn't, you know, great way to look at it. And, and how you framed that up isn't about not getting selected or getting dropped. It's about making way for somebody who's going to have an influence on that final, which, which Bobby obviously would. It's funny how what made you upset isn't the fact of not playing, it's not getting that suit, you know, or not being involved in that. And, and that's probably a mistake from, from the club in the time. I'm probably sure they would have changed that if you look back. Just not getting that suit or being involved for what little effort that would have probably taken. Yeah, it's little things, isn't it, in life? It's yeah, not yeah. the big things. And, and you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in, you know, if, if, if you deserve something, you deserve something, isn't it? And, and I'm saying now, if, if a player deserves X amount of money, well, he deserves X amount of money. You've, got to, we, you've just got to be honest with him. Uh, you've got to be honest and you've got to, you know, give people what they like. If people need a death, because the two tired, we'll get a day off. As long as people are honest, you, that's the way life's got to be, honest and transparent. Go, going, going from that, massive change there, from being a boyhood Saints player fan to now being number seven at Warrington. I'll explain that transition for us. You know, not only how did you cope with that mentally, but how did you establish yourself to, as a Warrington player and, and gain that kind of name for yourself and, and respect from the from your peers well that, that's the first thing you've got to do you've got to earn the respect from your peers you know I was, I was an unknown you know, I'd had a few good games at Saints but when you look back and I look back at him did I really have that good of a game I was just playing with unbelievable players you can't play well when you've got Tommy Martin outside Carl Hammond Paul Newell Chris Joint Kieran Cunningham giving you the ball Steve Prescott Anthony Sullivan who can't play well in that team I was just lucky, really, really lucky that I ended up in that team. And that, you know, I always speak about when Bobby Golding got sent off when he banged Neil Cowie. I was on the terraces that day because I was a Saints, a Saints player first and foremost, but Saints fan. And I was screaming and shouting that he nearly took his head off. But I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't realise at that time that that instance was going to change my life forever. Bobby Golden doing that changed my life forever. So I've got a lot of things to thank Bobby for. You know, one getting sent off. But two, you know, he was a massive mentor to me. He, you know, he used to come in on days off, tech me with him as well. So I've got a lot of things to, to thank Bobby. But I had to go to Warrington and, you know, run the team. 18-year-old, 10 stone. 10 stone, can you imagine that now? You can't even get an academies if you're 10 stone. Uh, you know, it, it was it was a crazy time, but gradually I earned the respect. It, it, it probably wouldn't have been, by the way, I trained because I worked a great trainer. But you know, I, I suppose my 
my actions on the field earned the respect. Yeah, I'm going to, Rob, I know you've got some questions lined up that you want to ask, but I'm going to jump in and, and go Maverick, I think, on this. It's just that, especially where, you, where you've sat over the last few years in a, as an academy coach, Lee, and you talked then about you've been 18 trying to lead the team. Obviously, we work in the academy as well. You see 17, 18, 19-year-olds even that, that still aren't equipped to do that. How does that compare when you're coaching them boys, when you, your expectations of them? How do you manage them expectations when you, when you did it so young? And how did that influence your coaching at academy? Well, it, it, it's a great point. And it's, if I, if I, and I did at first, I will, I will admit that I, I got it wrong at first. Uh, when I was because I expected them to do what I could do, and that's totally, totally wrong, and it's totally unfair of me as a coach to, to expect that. Uh, I suppose not expect it, but think that they can because I believe that with the right coaching, with the right attitude, commitment, anybody, anything's possible. Uh, so <clears throat> to, to go in with it, you know, I was a bit gun ho and saying, you know, we need to do this, do that. And, because I'm, I'm acting off the way I did it. Well, not everybody's the same. I've, I've since learned that, that <clears throat> I was very visual. I would watch games till I couldn't watch anymore because I needed to know uh, what the opposition's weakness and strengths was. Not everybody does that. I get it. So everybody learns in a different way. Uh, so it, it's, it's not having... I will never, ever drop my standards. Uh, but it's, I suppose, the word... I'd be looking for is that you know you've got to treat everybody different and you've got to understand the player suppose the person first and then the player if you crack that then you know you, you, you're learning it is limitless you can you can go as far as you want uh, with with the right tools and you know people say that players have changed and they're not as good as the past I will I think it's the older people that have changed. You know, these kids, the same people who, like we, have a dream. They, they, they want to play as high as they can. You know, the game's changed a lot since, since I first started. Uh, You've just got to use the tools rightly and, and not expect too much too soon. Yeah. And for, for them boys coming through that system at Warrington, you know, what a... Without blowing too much smoke up your ass, there is to have somebody who's been there and done it as a mentor is exceptional to them. You know, you say they've got a dream, they'll sign for Warrington as a, as a youngster to start picking up a ball as a youngster wanting to, to win a Challenge Cup. And you've done that uh, as a player and a coach. Um, <clears throat> obviously, getting Lance Todd trophy. What was the feeling when, as a player, what was the feeling for winning that Challenge Cup and lifting that Lance Todd trophy? Well, it goes, it goes all the way back to when, you know, I played at Saints and I didn't play in that final. So that was, yeah. that was, a, ooh, that was a massive driver. It took, I lost five Challenge Cup semi-finals on the bounce. That's like horrendous. You know, you get to 2009, you're thinking it's done. I'm not going to, I'm coming to the back end of my career. I'm never going to win one. Uh, uh, to get there and win it was just unbelievable. Uh, like I said, the game plan, what we had, and I tell quite. Tony Smith was brought into our, our club to to get us to win trophies, you know, and he did that. His attention to detail of that week was just unbelievable. I've never, and I've never seen one before. And I've never seen one since training weeks to, to 
to when we went and, and won that first one. Up until, you know, we knew Huddersfield's game plan inside out. We knew if we were going to kick off that they would go three to their left for a plus two kickoff, Brett Hodgson. So we we're going to charge it down, and which we did, and we scored on the next play. It was just crazy. Everything just fell fell into place, and you know, Tony Smith was a, a master of, you know, the the mental side of the game, and you know, he 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 nailed it that day, and you know, we went out and delivered on on his plan, which, looking back now as a coach, is that is something else, you know, to get your players to do that. You're going to get them doing it, but to get them doing it on the biggest stage is just. It takes some doing that as a coach. Uh, it's it's the best feeling ever because I grew up wasn't the Super League, wasn't the you know winning the Super League Grand Final. It was winning the Challenge Cup. Ever since I first went in 1987 to to watch Saints against Halifax when we got Saints got beat by a point. Ever since then, I wanted to go back and and win one and you know to get two in two years. It's like you know public buses. One don't turn up for ages, then they come back to back. It was just, it was insane, insane. But it's, it's solely what the club deserved. Just off the back of that, like, what would you say the differences are? So, winning it as a player compared to winning it as a coach. Well, you're, you're never ever going to be able to replicate doing it as a as a player, you know, because it's just a sensational feeling. You know, Danny, you 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 was there, with, you guys were there with it. With with FC doing it back to back, it's just it's just mental. It's 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 it it's everything you you ever dreamt of. And you know we, what we did in in two nine when we won it, you know the stadium emptied and we just got like five crates of beer and we just went and sat in the middle of Wembley Field and we just sat there having a beer for an hour. You know you can pay as much money as you want, but you can't buy that. You cannot buy it. You can have as much money in the world, but when you achieve something so special as a playing group, it's just sensational. And we had a reunion last year, and to catch up with the boys though, uh, who had not seen for a while, and you know, like to David Solomon from Australia. As soon as you know, uh, you know, our one woman two twelve was sold, but you know, he, he was there. And as soon as you know, and you see people, you've got that ultimate bond that for life. You know, you only have to look at each other, and you know what we did that. Uh, to, to go and do it as a coach was, you know, assistant coach. Uh, it, it's it's magical, absolutely magical, because now you've got your hands, your your fate is in the hands of the players. Hopefully, you have you have done a Tony Smith, mm-hmm. and you know I must say Steve Price was. We we went the year before as favourites and got beat, so we learned from that. Uh, we learned massively from that. Did quite a bit different. Uh, and we we absolutely nailed it, nailed it. Nobody nobody give us a cat and chance of beating Saints. Nobody. We had our marquee player out, Blair Costin, so we had to put a back rower at standoff Jack Hughes, who I thought was unbelievable. Simple game plan, nailed the game plan to a team. You know, totally dominated Saints, which was very special considering I live in Saint Helens. <laughs> <laughs> the as a player said about the the dynamics of the team, did that come as a result and your relationship become as a result of winning the Challenge Cup or did, was that there first, a big ingredient to winning the Challenge Cup, that playing dynamic and cohesion as a group? Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, we, we, we had some sensational players in that group. And, uh, but it was, 
it, it was working out how we, we played. We, we got the best out of each other, I suppose. But, you know, we look back on them times and some of the players, Michael Mullan, you know, he, he was sensational. Chris Hicks, uh, not Chris Hicks, Matt King, uh, Richie Mathers. Nobody really mentions Richie Mathers, but he said three tries that day in the first 20 minutes, maybe, held up over the line. Uh, it, it was it was unbelievable. But, you know, oh no, that was the year after, sorry, I'm, I'm flipping. Uh, the Uddersfield one was just, it was, it was, it was bomb because we had Vinnie Anderson playing at six that day as well. We, so maybe, and 10 years later, we had a back rower again playing at, at six. There might be something in that one, yeah. Yeah, there's a trick, yeah. I think that's just going back to sort of those feelings as well when you win it. When we were lucky enough, weren't we, to speak to, um, and to be fair, he's come back out of retirement now, but Gazelle is the same thing. You know, after winning two back-to-back and he said, you're never going to get that feeling again. And that was what I think drove him to come back, didn't it? You know, pretty much trying to get that high again, that feeling of that high of, you know, you can't get better than winning Challenge Cup. No. You know, you can't. And so we're, we're always chasing that high. We're always chasing it. Uh, so, so mine is my golf. So I'm chasing that. So I've set myself a, a goal, you know, whether it's reachable or not. But why not set high goals? You can try. So I want to I wanna play in the, uh, the seniors. So uh, whether I do or not, I'm going to try my best too. Uh, so I can do that after... I think it's around 50, 55. So I've got about another 20 years till I reach that. So what, 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 does, that, what does that look like for you, Lee? What's your, you've got a goal there. I think that's an outstanding goal and best to look in that. What does that look like from now to get in there? And what will it look like when you get there playing that? What does that well, mean? You know, you, you've got to, you, straight away, you've got to play a scratch. So a roundabout scratch. So I've got, I've got a lot of work to do. I'm off five now, which is, it's, that's a really good standard, but, the standard to get there is, is is super super tough. Uh, yeah, listen, I won't be able to compete. It's just a it's just a, one of those bucket lists where you're going on. I played on a yeah, season. You'll get it done. Yeah. You'll get yeah. that done, mate. What's your, what's your biggest? Um, what's your first area to, to brush up on? Short game, driving game. It's got to be you know the driver. You know, get it well off the tee. I've actually I've just got a new driver. End of last year, so I've been gutted that. We've uh, we've been in lockdown, so I've not been able to use it. But use it well this week. It's going, it's going well off the tee. So it, I suppose you just keep plugging away and then small. If I keep thinking about the end goal, I'm never going to get those. So just next goal is get to four. After that, mm-hmm. I'll be get to three and whatnot. And you know, just to say that I've played two professional sports would be pretty cool. Cost me, it'll cost me a bit of money to do. I hope my missus is not watching, but. <laughs> you got to say, it's goals and it's goals in life. You've got to have little challenges in life. If I don't have a challenge, well, you know, there's no point, is there? Hmm. That's it. That's have you, have you had a coach, yeah. a golf coach, Lee? Well, I, I have had some lessons. Yeah, what well, I've had lessons, but I'm not too good at them. Uh, I, I like to find my own way. I like to, you know, find, you know, making my own mistakes and try to rectify them. I once had a kicking coach, Paul Cullen, give me a kicking coach in 2007, I think it was. And I didn't kick for four years. I'm saying with golf. <laughs> I do the wrong things, I suppose. But yeah, it's just uh, learning from mistakes. Whether that's achievable or not, but it's the end goal. Yeah, well, I, 
why not? Mate? You've achieved enough in sport. Eh? You would carry it over into golf would be outstanding. The, when you say that, I reckon that's a, a good coaching for myself. When you say about you, you like to, to do it and learn yourself, um, rather than a kicking coach as such or a, a golf coach. Do you put that into your own coaching practice where you let them boys learn? Or do you kind of you tell them? Well, it, it's kind of key that you... You've got to let them make mistakes. I'm massive on making letting them make mistakes. And I actually, a thing I, I do is I actually set drills up so they, they fail. So mm-hmm. they, they can't succeed unless, you know, they, they, they get their heads together. Uh, and I, I do that for a couple of reasons. It, it's good to fail and it's good to work out that actually, how do we, how do we fix it? But also it's, it's good to see if you, what leaders stick, stick their head above the parapet. So, you know, a really chaos drill and it's going crazy. There's balls going everywhere. I want to see somebody stop it and go, right, let's do it this way. Let's go on this, do this. Do then you're seeing leaders come out and it's, it's a massive part. You've got to let them fail to get better because if you don't fail, you'll never learn. You're buying mistakes. I, I, I'm, I'm not too fussed about making mistakes in training. You can make them in training. You know, you, I always said, Tomorrow will be a different day than yesterday, so we might not make mistakes tomorrow. So don't get too wet up about it. You know, if if you can't flick the ball left-handed out, and it keeps going to flood, just keep trying it, keep trying it, keep trying it. It'll soon come. You know, it's you've got to let them do it. But you obviously sometimes they need guidance and they need telling what to do. That's just part of you know the complex game we live in. Uh, but yeah, you've got to you've got to be you've got to be able to make mistakes. That's how we grow in life as well, yeah. Absolutely, and I think you know when you said it about it's making the mistakes and then trying to learn from them. I suppose the problem comes when you make a mistake and don't think twice about it. You've already touched on it several times about being a reflector. I think that'll help you get to where you need to be by being that reflector. Agreed. As a player, you. You mentioned there uh, a couple of times, you mentioned about Tony Smith um, as a coach, what he did in that uh, build-up to Wembley. You've mentioned about when you coach and, and letting them make mistakes uh, and the chaos type of drills. Who is the best coach you, you, you've had or worked with? And what are the reasons? Yeah, for obvious reasons, it'd be Tony Smith. Uh, he obviously gave him a first test of success. We, we, we got a really good understanding relationship. You know, he, uh, he was certainly the boss. Might, might have given me a bit of leeway to think I was the boss sometimes, but he was certainly the boss and I respect him for that. You know, he, uh, I, I really, I, I didn't enjoy it at the time, but in 2009, we got beat by London. Uh, we got absolutely pumped down in London and, we were playing OKR at home the following week and he dropped me. Who would have thought Lee Brees could have got dropped for Warrington? Well, I didn't. Certainly my teammates didn't. And certainly the, the other people, the fans didn't. What that did was so much more than just dropping Lee Brees because he didn't have a great game. It put everybody on the toes. You know, if he's willing to do that, well, you know what, I'm not safe. And that, that kind of straight away set the standard for all our club to, to improve every day. 
and that's what he that's what he challenged you with. You had to improve every day, whether mentally, because I love the mental side of the game, or you know, on the field. Talk to me about the time you said you did at the time you didn't appreciate it. What did you behave like? <laughs> when when we dropped you. Yeah, well, well, obviously uh, he dropped me, and you know it, it stung at the time. But I promise, I promised myself there and then that he won't ever drop on me again through through form or whatever, or whatever his reasons was, and he didn't. So I sat on the bench against Hull KR, and uh, you know I quite liked it actually because I could study study the game really, really uh, closely before I got on. Usually you got to work it out on the run. Uh, you know, and got on the field and, and did my job and, and never looked back. But he set some really good standards with that. And I think it's a really important it's a really important message to any you know, to any coach. A player is never bigger than the team. Just off the back of that then, obviously the lessons that you learned with it, what would you say your biggest value as a coach is? Honesty. Honesty. Yeah. You know, that's the, the first and foremost, they always go back honest. Be honest. Be honest with your players. Be honest with yourself first. But be honest with your players. And uh, if, if you get that right, well, I think everything else comes. If, you, if you're not honest, I could be telling you anything. Are you really going to believe it if you don't think I'm honest? Yeah. It, what, you had any real tough conversations with that? If honesty is like your biggest value and you need to tell somebody the truth, whether it be a young kid or a, a seasoned Super League player, you had any real tough conversations where you try and tell somebody the truth, whether maybe don't believe? Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to please everybody. You're not going to please But if you know that you're true to yourself, you know, you don't ever try to please everybody either. If, if you are, you, you're struggling now. I've had a few, a few tough ones, yeah. Uh, but I always go back to my experiences of 17 years. Mm. You know, I've been through it all. And no, with the young kids, the academy, that's, that's, that's what my passion is. Uh, it's teaching them about life, not just about rugby league. You know, I always used to say to them, listen, whatever you've done at the weekend, won't surprise me. I've done it a million times, million times harder. So don't worry about it. You can talk to me as a friend. And that's suppose what I try to do is be the friend. And you know, you've got to be the coach. It's that's my job. But be a friend to them. You know, make sure that that, that door is always open, whether you're one of the best players or one of the the limited players, it's gotta be open. And listen, I, I I just love seeing people grow as human beings. If by the end of it they become a Super League player, well, that's a massive bonus. How's it been coaching, you know, your own son in that environment and, and seeing them go through? How have, you, how have you managed that? How's that been for you? Yeah, well, I, I, coached, I coached Reese from uh, six to a 14 and then I finished coaching him at Amateur. I said, nah, that's it now. I'm, I've, I've took you as far as you can. And, you know, when I said I don't regret stuff, uh, I don't regret this, but I would have done it differently. I, w I wouldn't have coached him uh, mm. because we kind of lost dad and son relationship because I was always coaching son. It was hard for him, hard for me, because I always thought I, w I knew right. Uh, so he always copped it, whether he had a good game, bad game, indifferent game, he copped it. 
So mm. I would have done that differently. And uh, at 14, I stopped. So I didn't even want him to sign professional at Warrington. Uh, I thought it was, it was too... He, he wasn't ready for it. I just wanted him to enjoy his rugby. And uh, anyway, he, he ended up signing. Uh, and I still, I, I, I hadn't seen him play or train from being 14 to well, when he actually made his debut at the scholarship two years later. So I just left him be. I just left. He, at 14, when I left him, he, he signed scholarship 15. He had a great year on his own, just did whatever. and left him, didn't, didn't even go to his amateur training, his amateur games. Uh, did the same at Warrington, don't have anything to do with him. Uh, I trust I trust the people what are in place that, you know, he's just another Warrington player when he's there, when he comes home, he's my son. And that's how it is, you know. Obviously, I can help him in, in mm-hmm. where he played the same position and, and I like to give him, I like to give him advice. Sometimes it's the right one, sometimes it's not. Sometimes he can't, which again, it's coming back to don't expect him to do what I did. Uh, but, mm-hmm. You know, I don't have anything to do at Warrington. It's totally, I'm his dad. And that's how, it, how it's got to be. He's got to find his own way in life. And the big thing is, is, and not, I don't know if people believe, but, but I'm an honest person. And when I say that he finds his own way in life and he does not get favours, that's the way it's got to be. Because you're either good enough or not. And if he, if he, gives, if he gets a, a leg up when he shouldn't, well, you know what? When he gets to 30, 40 years of age, he's going to struggle. So it, it's it, it is time. He'll he'll work it out. Whether whether what were I don't know, but he'll he'll work it out. And I trust the people who's who's helping because we've got some fabulous coaches. You know, Paul Anderson, Super League head coach, Super League league leaders, coaching academy. It's just them lads don't know how lucky they are. Yeah, yeah, very detailed, Paul. As well, like you said, that you know. Very good work with him, and they are in good hands with him. So I completely get why he would trust him. And I think just from a message point of view, for the people that be listening to this, them community coaches, I reckon ninety percent of your community coaches are parents. You know, they have got the lad in that team, and I think just listening to what you're talking about there would be a great lesson for them. You know, how how tough is it to try and be a coach of your, of your son at the same time as be a dad? I think a lot of people will will benefit from that conversation you've just had there. Yeah, it's, it's hard because who's the first one you're going to bring off? If somebody has to come off, who's the first one coming off? It's always going to be your own son. You know, or why is he... Because if you don't, you're always thinking about your man. Wow, he's leaving him on. And, so it's always your own son. Uh, you know, and I, I remember the day because I wasn't meant to be coaching, but I turned up as a parent to drop him off at six years of age and the coach didn't turn up. So they asked me, and that was it. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that. Do you, the good thing about that is, you know, there's there's about five who signed on the academy, which I'm not really fussed about. Uh, and there's other people who's gone to college and they're doing their A levels, and they're going to go on to, to to go to university. But you know, they're all every time every time I see them, we, well, I have the crap with them because I've been a massive part of their life, and that to me means more than going playing in the Super League game. Yeah. Yeah, and that goes back to what Danny was saying there with the community coaches. It's it's absolutely massive the impact that you have on the on the lads, and and, and half the time it's the lads that don't necessarily uh, make it to Super League, the ones that you probably had the biggest impact on anyway. For sure, million percent. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Listen, you're always going to get the ones who you know are going to go to Super League. That's the inevitable. But the, the, the real crown and glory for me is the one who nobody rates, but you get him through. Hmm. They're the ones. They're, that's what you do the job for. Yeah, definitely. Just, uh, just going on that, what, what would you say in terms of like, just mentioned that was one of the biggest areas, but what would you say your biggest area of improvement as a coach at the minute? Yeah, it's it's got to be man management. Uh, get it, I'm, I'm getting better at it, and that that's the key to I think to to any any coach. No, no, not any coach. Any any leader in any organisation, be it you know, be it ASDA, Tesco's, Warrington Wolves, or FC. Any leader, you've got to have man management, and you've got to you've got to want them people to come to work and and give the best for you. Uh, so it's an ongoing thing. That it's an ongoing thing. I'm, uh, I suppose why why I went the pathway I did taking the academy and stuff is actually because you learn a lot then, and you have your own team and you're the boss and you can make mistakes. You can make mistakes. You can pick the wrong team. You can get the tactics wrong, but you're not under the spotlight. So it's really important I did that. Uh, now it's a bit harder. Why you you're at first team level and your man management. You've got an array of all types of characters. But that's a challenge. That's a real good challenge. And, you know, I'm, I'm massive into CPD, so I spent quite a bit of time with, uh, with Wayne Bennett. Uh, I've, I've been over to Australia in his company. When he comes up, when he's come over here for the World Cup Challenge, I go down to, to London and spend 10 days before they play. So I've done quite a bit behind the scenes with him. He's, he's always there if I need him to, to, you know, to speak to. Uh, I've been down to England Rugby Union to see how Eddie Jones works. Uh, I did, you know, there's, there's all types of things to, to see how they, they do it, how the leaders do it, and how they, I suppose, deal with different different people. That's the that's the key. Once I suppose if you, there's not many time, not many people have figured everybody out. But you know, the game's played that similar. Rugby league's played that similar. That's probably the easy part. It's getting your players to do it better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So that's you've got to work them out. Yeah, you say you know you get the the tactical coaches and and people that are obviously work ethics massive, but getting your players to want to buy into you as a person and be that genuine leader. That that's that's huge. When you we talk about all that CPD and, and Eddie Jones and and Wayne Bennett and think what what key lessons have you learned from them about leadership? How, how to be a leader? Yeah, well, it's, it goes back to that honesty and trust. You know, you, you you've got to show a certain amount of trust in your players because if if you don't, and you're always you know telling them what to do, it it, it don't work. They'll they'll end up getting the back up, and you know you you've got to be honest. You've got to you've got to trust them. You've got to give them you know you've got to give them a fair amount of trust and accountability is massive. You know, everybody's got to be accountable in your in your organisation. One thing what they do well is they surround themselves with, with good teams. So they have good coaches around them who, who are specialists in their areas. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, just in terms of, let's say, we mentioned earlier in terms of game breakers and the game breakers cards and trying to give something you know, to, uh, to the community coaches to sort of look at the way you know, it, it works at Super League because a lot of the time I think there's this misconception of we're doing something totally different, you know, or, you know, 
given this magic pill or magic answer, what would you say is your best drill activity or do you like a bit of advice for, for a coach and why? Well, it's, it's, I, I, I like to have fun. I like to base all my, my training around fun. I think you get miles more out when, when lads are having fun. You've got to do the basics. It's, it's an, you've got to do the basics. I get that. And you've got to do them too. To a point where, you know, we're not doing, you can't do it to the point where you go, oh, we're not just doing this for the sake of doing it. So you've got to put fun in that. You can do all kind of basics with fun. But, you know, one of the best ones to have fun and get the lads playing, and it probably goes against everything we should say. But a game of soccer and training is fantastic for fun. Get them all. We have a laugh with our lads because putting their rugby players to play football, the coordination is an absolute yeah. nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> and they just love it, don't they? We, yeah. we, 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 we have a few soccer balls. We put them out with the rugby balls at the start of training and we give them a bit of a taster and, right, soccer ball's in and they're like, ah! <laughs> well, you, you get a soccer ball out and you start with a game of soccer. Something different. They love it, don't they? But, yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely say fun. You've got to have fun. And everything's got to be, you know, competitive fun game related so get the ball and play games against each other yeah I think that, that's what we're massive on as well you know and I think you you touched on it earlier about that chaos you know yeah sometimes it's been brave enough as well of it looking messy you know I think half the time it's the perception of what other people think and you worry about it a little bit too much but chaos is brilliant for us yeah brilliant if they come off smiling well they're not bothered if it looks scruffy or not are they? yeah and that's a key thing. If you're off, and we, we back in the day, Paul Cullum was coach, and uh, we had a break, mid-season break. So we went to Australia to to get some. He said learning techniques and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we went over two weeks and come back, and he said, "Right, lads," he said, uh, "I learned absolutely nothing in Australia, so we'll get the soccer ball out." We had a, <laughs> we had a game of soccer, and we had a game of soccer. The next we should call it football. The Aussies call it soccer. Don't had a game of football and uh, played football for the full four to five days. So obviously rugby training, but football before training. We won that game. So we had to obviously, we had to do it the next week. So we carried it on. And then we had a beer after the Sunday game. So we carried the football on and we had a beer after the Sunday game. And we went on a 12-game winning streak doing this. Football, beer after a game. Football, beer after a game. Away games, colour beer, front at bus going, right, lads. We having a beer? Yeah, we've got to do, haven't we? We did it. <laughs> we carried this on anyway. The 13th game, we got beat. We were going to break the club record. We got beat. Video on the Monday morning said, slams the pens down. He went, I don't know what, why we got beat, lads. And we're like, he says, you're drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was his choice. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> you were first one on, but what you could in those days, but hey, we went on a 12 game winning streak playing football, so there's got to be something in it. Yeah, that's it. 12 cans in a game of football every yeah. week. That's not a bad coaching philosophy, is it? Oh, yeah, just goodbye yeah. into that. If, if it works, that was my idea. If it's not done, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people live by that at our club, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I was speaking to um, Scully in the week and we said about a good question to ask anybody and, and we asked him, it, if you could ask any player or coach, past or present, any question, what would it be and why? And 
is is was it actually bad for the way it took him so long to get off the canvas when he knocked him out? But um, <clears throat> what would yours be? A man was going to be to uh, man would be to Rory McIlroy. How am I going to get to scratch? Nice, nice. But you said yourself get a better driver, so you've been there, there, won't you? Yeah, it's getting there, but yeah. But they didn't do too bad yesterday. Play, shot two over yesterday. What time? I just, how, pardon? How often? How often do you think you have to? How often do you think you have to play Lee to get to to scratch twice a day? No, well, what what it is because obviously it's it's the comps what get your handicap down. Mm-hmm. We play comps uh, once a week, maybe twice a week at the club, so it's a practice. Got to practice, 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 and then hopefully. It pays off at the weekend. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's it's it, it's interesting because every every day is a different day on the golf course. You know, one day you could be a tip nailing it. Another day, you might think you're doing exactly the same, but just could be hitting it different place on the club, and it's going going uh, going a different way. But uh, it's it's my son's birthday today, so I've got a bit of groveling to do. See if I can get out for nine holes tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I can feel her eyes dagging to me, Vicky's eyes. Yeah, <laughs> you might go anywhere. Well, if if we go out at eight o'clock, he, he won't be bothered really later. Nah, he can carry for you. Spend yeah. some father some time together. Well, I've just I just said to him, uh, I said, pick a pick a training session. What you're doing today? And he looked at me and said, Well, if academy were training today, you won't get a day off, would you? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's a downside to having a dad who's involved in the game. Yeah, exactly. I've, uh, we've been doing some weights in that in the background, and I don't train, but I'll train on the easy ones. And once the, once the hard ones come on, go on, you're on your own. <laughs> well, you've been there and done it. He has all that work to do. <laughs> Rob. Sweet, no, I think uh, like I think you've been absolutely outstanding. Some of the stuff that we, we've gone through there has been has been you know top class, and you know just going back to you know the main points that we was after anyway. You know, talk about mental skills, and I think uh, even just golf as a game, you know, it's huge, hugely mental mental game in it. And I think the the attributes there that you're talking about are just sort of transferable. So I think we'll, we'll sort of wrap it up there. Just, and thank you for your time. I think it's been been outstanding. I hope yeah, you I just want to say, you know, Lee, I think. Apart from obviously the mental skills and learning about coaching philosophy on this is about digging behind the person. And I think for anybody that's watching this will will learn something about Libri is, you know, from being that player that I see on the field who's, you know, almost got this swagger to being, you know, very kind of humble, honest, hard working bloke and and for for me to let you know, learn that as well. I'm sure when we do get beat off Warrington in the future it won't be as hard to take knowing that you're a good bloke behind the scenes. So thank you for your time, really appreciate that. No, uh, thanks for having me on, guys, and it's great, you know, what you're doing, and I, I love your passion, Danny and, and, and Robert, you know, it's at all FC, you've, it's an hard gig, obviously, with uh, what happened to Lee, but, and then, obviously, with the academies, but, you know, keep going, keep your head down, and it's fantastic what you're doing. I appreciate that, thank you, Lee, thank you very much for your time, mate. Cheers, guys. Well, cheers, Catch up soon, thank yeah, you. Yeah, definitely, cheers. <laughs>